Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danton, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Len Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strohlight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. All right, all right. Good morning. What's up, all you Cafe Bitcoiners? Hang on one second while I transition to host. Good morning. Yeah, I saw, uh, I accidentally sent uh, Dom Bay a co-host. Dom Bay, you can be co-host anytime, man, but uh, my bad. Come on, come on back up here. thought we were getting a Dom Bay edition today. Yeah, I sent Alex the invite and it was like, you can only have two co-hosts. And I was like, what? And then I, yeah, I saw Dom was in the seat, but uh, enjoyed having Dom you there, Dom is the, uh, the honorary swan first responder for those who don't know, man. He's, he's like, for some weird reason... When shit goes down, Dom Bay's right there, man. Dude, I saw that co-host and I was about to go do a house check, Alex. Like, is my guy good, dude? I was getting everything ready and everything <laughs> packed up. <laughs> Funny. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, everyone. Cafe Bitcoiners out there. How you doing, Tomer? Hey, good morning. Tomer, you sound sad this morning. Makes me sad if you sound sad. No, all good. I'm just juggling a bunch of things getting ready. Okay. Man, the world is a crazy place, is it not? Oh, my goodness. We got a lot to talk about today. Welcome to Cafe Bitcoin. Our mission for this show is to provide a signal in the sea of noise and teach the other 7 billion people on this planet why there's hope because of this bright orange future that we call Bitcoin. For today's show, we're going to continue coverage of the changes occurring rapidly in the space, some Bitcoin news, some Q&A. In the second hour of the show, we have the creator, excuse me, English Alex, creator of the Tuttle Twins, Daniel Harmon, coming on the show. Fired up for that. That's going to be really cool. All right, let's dig in. You guys see the thing about Wells Fargo limiting customers' cash withdrawals to $1,000 due to emergency conditions? Is that, like, current? Is that happening right now? Is that real? I hadn't heard of that. I saw that, that this morning. It, it looked like it was maybe just, like, one location. Uh, but that, was, that, was, uh, that sucks to see that sign. Why would a bank put something like that in their front window due to emergency know. conditions? I don't even think it was typed, right? Wasn't it handwritten? That was handwritten, yeah. Yikes. It's just weird. Like, why would a bank do that? It's bizarre as hell. I mean, I I mean, just the wording. Why would you why would you literally say due to emergency conditions? It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I think one of the 
I'm just curious what they're going to do with all the vaults. I really think the podcast studio leased out space is a good idea. If they're not holding cash in there, you know, lease out these podcast studio spots in your local bank vault. It's a huge winner. Hell yeah, dude. That'd be a cool, uh, well, I mean, you'd have to run cables and shit in there, I guess, for internet. But dang, what a cool location for a pod. It would say a lot, wouldn't it? The symbolism of that. Like, this is a, this used to be a bank vault. We used to use these to store money. Yeah, those things are massive. Like, you know, not getting moved easily anywhere. Will it hold my Pokemon cards? I don't know about that. All right. If anybody gets any further information about the Wells Fargo thing, whether that's a, like a real thing that's happening right now or whether that was just like from some other time or whatever, I'd love to hear it. Other things that are happening happening right now, the United States District Court for the District of Columbia has issued a summons and a civil action against Binance Holdings Limited. uh, What else? There's a bunch of things named here. Binance Holding Limited, BAM Trading Services, BAM Management, U.S. Holdings, and CZ. We already know this, but uh, basically that's the actual suit I was looking at it this morning. So we're talking a little bit more about that today as well. Did you guys see that the Bitcoin price on Binance is $2,000 higher than other exchanges right now? Was is that it right now or was it briefly yesterday? I, I, I think it was a short-lived thing. Has that I subsided? I, it had, it had after it was, shortly after it was reported yesterday. So unless it's recurred, it's yesterday's news. Yeah, I track multiple price points. Uh, from top exchanges all in one data tile so I can like see the arbitrage happening and yeah it looks like what Tomer's saying is correct back to normal pretty close what do you you think uh, what do you guys think could have caused that spread to blow out like that maybe some of the liquidity providers market makers are you kind of easing off just with like all the attention on them and they're you know like not allocating as much there. So the order books get thin and people are, people are still pushing up on margin maybe, but uh, it's weird that tether got to a dollar Oh five. That's kind of strange. And I guess it, it always, it's the relative measures between these things. And it shows the things that's going up in price is showing you where the demand is before, you know, the, the manipulation or the resets get in. So I, I think, it's reasonably safe to presume that both, that that indicated demand for both Bitcoin and Tether, which which would be the safe haven assets that people are looking for and and can withdraw and can withdraw with reliability. But again, it was short lived, so it's it's very hard to say what's going on. Like I I I continue to be stumped by how the value of all these altcoins relative to Bitcoin or to the U.S. dollar have have somewhat held up in the face of the actions this week. It doesn't seem like what you'd see either from a rational or an emotional market. And so it, it again, just fuels my own suspicions, which I 
can't confirm that there's a lot of price manipulation of these more thinly traded and market made uh, driven driven tokens. And so I think we just keep repeating the same things here, though, because we're we 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 see the value in in Bitcoin. We understand it. We we see a lot of skepticism in in the altcoins, and so we're we're struggling to understand how they manage to hold their own, especially as you work your way down that list. Um, just like the the arguments for who would be buying them for whatever reason just seem to be non-existent, and yet they show up with volume and value. So something's something's up. The casinos are always full, Tomer. There's always uh, folks at the roulette wheel more than happy to hand over their cash. And I think there always will be in some form. Uh, but but I agree that the volume of some of these tokens, I mean, the courage right now to, to get an alt token right now up, whatever plan, I mean, it's just, it's just wild. Oh, but so much and, and you know, volume. What? Oh, go ahead, Tom. One, this is a slight lateral, so we can come right back. Like one of the things that you can actually see on chain, interestingly enough, and I keep an eye on this dashboard, is like what's happening with Bitcoin ordinals. I like this is where people are minting tokens and minting NFTs, and uh, and we had this big rush last month, and yesterday was the lowest number of ordinals inscribed since April twenty first. Um, and it, and the fees being paid are coming down substantially. So like we're seeing liquidity and demand and all that kind of stuff dry up and we're seeing Bitcoin fees come down. It's now only like 50 cents a transaction, whereas it had been $5 or $20 at, at, the, at the one day that was the very peak when people were getting worried. So if that's a reflection of the overall market, of things that aren't Bitcoin, even though it's on Bitcoin, I know, but it's certainly not Bitcoin. It it leads me to suspect again. It's, it's hard to make all of the connections. Well, volume may not be indicative of price, and this, that, the other. All fair comments, but you would. It's just hard for me to see how things that are all in danger of having their liquidity frozen and being deemed securities and being squarely in the sights of regulators aren't faring worse than than they are relative to Bitcoin or the USD. You know, you were mentioning a little while ago that some of the volumes in these things don't add up. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, we have a uh, video clip that we're going to roll here in a little bit with uh, Sam Callahan and Natalie, where Sam's actually talking about this. Uh, did some research on it, and we'll we'll hit that in a minute, though, after we do some stats. Let's roll with some stats. Good morning. You're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. This is episode 363. Shout-outs to our boys who listen to the show on Fountain. The Bitcoin impenetrable force field level is at? 404.7 exahash per second, seven-day average estimated. Whoa, that's a big jump. Yeah, we're moving around. Uh, current block height or latest block height, 793.408. And we got about 264,000 unconfirmed transactions. But the fastest fee right now, oh, it just jumped up from 19 to 20 sats per V-byte. 
it still feels weird. Like we were living in one sat for B-Byte for so long, two sats for B-Byte that now I'm celebrating like 18 sats for B-Byte. But, you know, uh, it's relative. It's like when the price of gas goes up to four dollars and it comes down to three sixty nine. It's like, yes, the reality is these fees are still super low. I mean, you know, it's all relative. I mean, if you're spending sending a small amount, then, yeah, like. Oh, it, it might be large fee relative to your cup of coffee or whatever at this point, if that was the way you were going to try to buy coffee on chain, which is kind of a weird thing. But the, uh, you know, if you're moving tons of money or a lot of money, then it's like it scales down. So it's like it's all relative, you know. Uh, How do you buy coffee? Like if you can't buy coffee on chain, see a lot of people come at Bitcoin, they're like, oh, look at the transaction fees are too high. You can't actually buy a cup of coffee. How do you buy coffee? Well, I guess when I was saying that my point was around just that there's other, you know, uh, you know, you can use lightning, for example, rather than using on chain for a very small transaction. I mean, there's, you know, I mean, you can still use on chain. Don't get it twisted. But that was the point of my point just a second ago. I don't um, use lightning. You don't know how to use lightning? Is that what you said? No, no, no. I said I'd rather use lightning. We have oh, a lot yeah. of weird things going on. People connecting, yeah, disconnecting. Mean, I've thought for a while that. Uh, you know, layer twos and stuff. I'm I'm like an on-chain guy at my heart. So like some of these layer twos, you know, it's, but for that purpose, small payments, I mean, yeah, Lightning's great for that. Good morning, Chris Limo. Morning, Alex. Morning, Jacob. Morning, Aunt Dom. Uh, no, just ex excited to listen today. Uh, giving a shout out to Ant. I've been checking out time chain stats. I, I know that's kind of probably what you're referencing there. Um, awesome website. And then huge shout out to Dom Bay. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the news break on Saturday um, that he is the first, Dom, I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess this up, so you got to clarify for me, the first union to self-custody their Bitcoin. Uh, technically, there have been other unions to buy Bitcoin uh, with their fund, but they're the first ones to buy Bitcoin and take it into self-custody instead of using a third-party custodian. So last Saturday, uh, I know a lot of work went into it, Dom. So I want to congratulate you and your union, and you can definitely expand on that topic. I think this is just the beginning, and uh, I think a lot of people see it as small news for now, but I think the floodgates are coming for the, uh, for the union and blue-collar workers of, of America and the world. So really exciting stuff, and I just want to give you a huge shout-out, Dom. Uh, you know, the work... Uh, goes towards you. And like I said, I know this is a long time making, man. Chris, thank you, brother. And Alex, let me uh, uh, talk on this a few cafe Bitcoins ago, so I won't uh, go too far into it and hijack the cafe. Um, but yeah, no, really cool, uh, you know, to see a union do it right. Something I've been working on and building a model to overcome fear, uncertainty, doubt, all the barriers that would be expected from an organization to get in, in a way like self-custody. But, you know, again, uh, here we are a few days after self-custody and that on Saturday, and we have the SEC stuff coming out and exchanges getting hit. And, you know a lot of the comments from guys are like, Hey, that has not, that, that doesn't affect us. Right. We, we have self custody. It's like, yep. Yeah. Cool. Uh, wow. Awesome. What a first, what a great, like first lesson in self custody and, and why it's like nice to just, you know, uh, you know, have control over your own, uh, destiny. So lots of cool stuff. I'm actually, I finished a, 
like almost like a bloop, like a manual, like how it was done. And if you are part of an organization or a union, how to do something similar in your organization. And I think I'm going to do that on like a sub stack. Um, so anyone, you know, free new newsletter style for anyone that wants to take a look and it breaks it down very um, simply as far as like how to approach a board, how to approach the members, pre-work, education, uh, the details, the execution, you know, what what things to do right, things that, that we learn from and all that, because I want other people to be able to see this and how simple it was. Um, and, but yet there's some pitfalls to doing it right for sure. So thanks, Chris, and very cool. Um, yeah, dude, it was really awesome. Let's go get on the damn mission. Adam also has, by the way, he's a very humble guy, but he just had an article pop for Bitcoin Magazine as well, uh, talking about the growing pressure to invest from fossil fuels to portfolio that can't seem to catch up. Very achievable route for the largest public pension in the U.S. to benefit from Bitcoin. So, um, yeah, check that out too. One last comment before we move on topics here is, is that uh, <clears throat> to me, having pensions involved is a super signaler event. Why? Because some of these pensions control the assets of, I don't know what the numbers are, Dom, you would know better than me, but is it millions of people? Probably millions of people. I used to be the director of IT for the largest aerospace union in the United States. It had 55,000-ish members. And if that union, for example, decided to allocate to an asset, you're literally allocating for 55,000 people in one smash buy kind of thing. It's crazy. Dom? Yeah, the funds are massive. <clears throat> millions of people. Uh, I think it's, it's well over a million just in California um, and millions across the country. And again, that those are funds that basically have deductions taken from paychecks of the workforce. So it's steady capital. Um, they, they get, as we know, and I'm sure Joe can tell you, the pensions get a ton of cushioning and landing for making mistakes, but that's catching up right now. I will say this, and, and I'm not, I don't want to scare folks and be like, uh, cause, you know, anything like that, but I am looking at the positioning of different folks leading up to CalPERS announcement of their funded status this June. And from, from the signs I'm getting, uh, it, it, it looks like it's going to be lower, which is going to be massive news if that occurs. It's at 72% right now. If it drops below 70%, you will start seeing in the headlines uh, the crisis word thrown out. Uh, and again, the article I wrote really just focuses on like, hey, all right, like, like laugh at Bitcoin all you want. But if you don't have a plan, if there's no solution to catch up and get these pensions back up towards a healthy funded level of over 80%, let's say, then you have to look at the option. You have to look at Bitcoin and how it can integrate with your pension or something like a pre-funding trust. You got to take a look. So yeah, these pensions definitely a super signaler. And, and um, you know, again, it goes into what we talk about, about getting the workforce on board, which is, um, you know, uh, I'm, you know, an in real life uh, hash power, so to say. Uh, and, and something that, you know, is, is a very strong force is all the workers, right? You think about it. So uh, it, it's, it's, there's a lot of cool stuff and hopefully we can get them to at least have good conversation. That's the, that's the hope of this article, have the conversation. Hey, Dom, out of curiosity, I'm sure you've seen Nakamoto portfolio by now. 
is is that a tool that's that's useful in in making an argument to some of these allocation boards like you know if you just show them the math and say if you had to put a one percent allocation in bitcoin in 2015 this is what the portfolio would look like today yeah i think it's extremely useful to show them something tangible like hey here's how bitcoin could affect your portfolio here's how it could fill some of the holes that just seem to be unfillable by whatever current strategy they're using. That being said, the biggest hurdle is just opening the door to the conversation, being being willing to, to look at something like the Nakamoto portfolio without going like, yeah, you're telling me it, it could do this, but the thing it's a it's a it's too risky. The thing went to didn't it go from didn't it lose like 90% in 10 minutes or wasn't there a huge scandal? So those barriers to just even being willing to talk, uh, that's the, the biggest hurdle. Once those are overcome uh, and you can look at it, uh, then, then, then Nakamoto portfolio becomes a great tool for them to play around with. And like we heard from at, um, when we were at the Swan House talking to different fund folks, you know, pensions, even if they don't <clears throat> integrate Bitcoin, to be able to use something like a Nakamoto portfolio to say, we took a look. And we, we took, we did our due diligence and, oh, by the way, sorry, our fund's not doing well. And we didn't, uh, you know, even look at Bitcoin and actually integrate it, but we did at least use something like Nakamoto portfolio to take a look. It's in our file. We did our due diligence. There's value in that alone because, um, you know, when they're knocking on the door asking like, did you guys look at all the options and what could have been, what could have been done? Uh, they're going to need something like that. Fantastic. Yeah. I love that website, how it's shaping up. Yeah, Rafa's adding all kinds of different pre-plugs. <clears throat> it's really, it's really just growing and becoming a, a powerful tool. All right. Dom, thanks for all you're doing, man. I do appreciate it. And I think other Bitcoiners who understand what you're doing do as well. Let's keep rolling with some stats here and then let's go back to what we were talking about a little bit before and roll that video with uh, Sam and Nat. But the other things we didn't mention stat-wise is we have 324 estimated days left until the next halving. There's 3,000, you can buy 3,786 sats per dirty fiat dollar and 92.36% of the total supply of Bitcoin that will ever be mined in the history of the human race has already been mined, been mined, excuse me, you might want to get some just in case. Right. So what we were talking about a little while ago, if you weren't around, was that there are all these trading pairs on these exchanges that have these, <laughs> what is it, tens of thousands of shit coins. And it's, it's, Tomer was saying it didn't add up, didn't make sense as to why there's any trading volume, volume on these trading pairs. And uh, Swan's head of research, Sam Callahan, did did some interesting analysis on this, and this is what he found out. Let's go ahead and roll it. Can you tell me a little bit more about these market making firms that the SEC alleges were conducting, you know, manipulative trades? Yeah, so that was a big bombshell to me in the SEC complaint. Um, basically, there was two market making firms that were owned and controlled by Binance CEO CZ. 
uh, there was one called Sigma Chain that was out of Switzerland. And then there was one called Merritt Peak, which was out of the Cayman Islands. And there was two things that were interesting with them. Is One is that uh, it was shown that they would divert customer funds and commingle them at these uh, firms without the customer's knowledge. And so that's one of the reasons why the SEC says that they misled them. Um, and the other thing is that they traded, they actively traded um, on the platform and they didn't have any kind of surveillance or internal controls over how they traded. And so, the, and the SEC claims that they did wash trading and wash trading is when a firm would just, or anybody would just buy and sell right away without any kind of real economic activity there, but it's just to pump the volumes and it's just to make it seem like there's more buyers behind an asset. And, and the interesting part was that they found that the Sigma chain would would perform a significant amount of wash trading. And again, this was a firm controlled and owned by CZ. And when when they did the wash trading, when Sigma chain did the wash trading, it was like around when um, when Binance US got launched. And so they wanted to act like it was a real big success. So they would pump it up. Um, when any kind of new token got launched, they would pump up those tokens. So there was evidence of 65 of those uh, cryptocurrencies once they got listed uh sigma chain would come in and do wash trading and pump up the volumes um and then also when they were trying to raise money uh they would pump up their trading volumes to make it look good and there had been multiple allegations of market manipulation throughout the years of binance but nothing really came from it um and i think one of the really interesting things that happened was uh when binance acquired coin market cap which was is the number one data aggregator of trading volumes across the industries and when you they did that it. really what you got to understand everybody goes all right so that explains a lot to me does anybody have any thoughts on that yeah i, I can start with that um it was a great episode by the way with sam and, and natalie brunel uh to start off for sure but i mean the allegations that the sec is bringing against binance are i mean quite literally fraud in like pumping up their numbers and all of that. Um, like I said, Sam, I think during the interview was kind of shocked that they were engaging in this. There was obviously speculation they were, but um, he didn't really have proof on that. Um, and then also it was funny. I think there was leaked internal uh, emails from like a disgruntled employee. And you saw back to back two CEOs were let go pretty in quick succession. I, I'm drawing a blank on the one woman, uh, but the second one uh, and the documents were funny. It was like, released uh, CEO A and released CEO B, and it was like quotes from them. Uh, one of them, uh, like I said, I forget the name of CEO A, was one of the women at, at uh, Binance USA. And then um, disgruntled CEO B is, uh, Sam was predicting or uh, guessing that it was Brian Brooks, um, who has been at a few different companies and has talked to Congress and stuff, but he was there only for a short stint of like three months. And basically his logic or reasoning for leaving Binance US as the CEO is even though he was the CEO of Binance US, it was basically CZ had like was running the whole ship and operation. Um, so there's a lot of speculation that he left, like even though he was the CEO, he had no power like CZ had backdoors and everything and very similar to FTX. If you're going to do comparisons between Binance and uh, FTX for sure. Wow, that's a very interesting thing. I didn't know that, Chris, about um the CEO having no power, et cetera, that's a big red flag to me. I mean, when when you see guys that are operating scams, a lot of times they'll have somebody in, in a position as like a face for the company 
but they're basically just a scapegoat. They're a fall guy. They don't, uh, they're there to basically take the heat if, if things go completely sideways. That's, that's messed up. Yeah, definitely. It's worth listening to the whole episode to have Sam breaks it down more succinctly than myself. But like I said, there was, you know, it said disgruntled or uh, release CEO A and B. And like I said, he was speculating uh, one was Brian Brooks. And basically, he was only there three months and then left. And they're kind of people asked him and he just kind of kept his mouth shut, I'm assuming for NDAs and, you know, didn't want to potentially like perjure himself or anything like that. But um, yeah, does not seem like a good situation for sure. Wild. Okay, I want to shout out to Tone Vase, Greg Foss, Dr. Jeff, Joe Carlosari, all in the audience, throwing you guys invites if you guys want to come up and join the conversation, have comments about any of this stuff. Uh, Jacob, would you throw those invites? Go ahead, Terrence. Oh, yeah. Um, hey, Sam, do we know how the SEC got that evidence? Was there a whistleblower? Were they um, doing some surveillance or Get info they, from they a, said they a, got it off of a cell phone, Terrence, and that was a while ago, as I okay. recall. And um, how so did they get there that was some speculation phone. as to whether or not they had they had uh, hacked into Signal or or if they had. Remember, we were talking about that um, whether uh, or not his, the yeah. phone had been taken and cloned. Right, right, right. I think Tone okay. Vase was. I think Tone Vase okay. actually was commenting on he, it as well because he was great. also really. He spreads surprised. a lot of conspiracy theories. I love Tone, but he's not always right. So if someone can put um, evidence for that in the comments or nest, I love to see it or just tweet it out or DM me. I, I need to see the evidence. I don't believe in this. Sometimes people on never, never trust, wrong. never trust a trade. Vase, good morning. Would you like to <laughs> uh, rebut, Mister Yang? Good morning, guys. So as I was transitioning to being a speaker, I think I missed the the critical. Oh, damn. So, <laughs> I was just saying it's I really love good. you, but you're not always right. So if someone he, he I, was totally I throwing you under the bus, man. How they how the SEC got this information in the first place. Wait, as to something I've said in the past? Well, no, Tone. To I mentioned that you had been commenting uh, when when I was trying to remember when we had been talking about it on Cafe Bitcoin. You had mentioned that you were really surprised. You didn't understand how they were able to get this information from the phone. Right. And as as we were talking about it, we were we were kind of speculating: did they clone the phone, or or what happened? Right. I remember that conversation. Yes. Boomers, man. Yeah. No. 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 I, I remember. Well, I just why didn't. Why you didn't, got like, attacked, boomers? Uh, yeah, no, that was surprising, but it looks like they did get their hands on the phone. Like they were literally quoting from a phone. So either one of those CEOs, uh, yeah. given up his phone and there were direct messages from CZ on that phone or they managed to clone it. But it sounded like that, uh, that document, like the court order, like stated that they had like a copy of like CZ's phone, uh, which to me was very, very strange. And then we were, I don't find it strange that just came out where they the judge said basically pretty much everything the SEC wanted in their TRO, all the allegate, all the requests to freeze assets, repatriate assets, etc., not destroy documents that in that order or another. Yeah, let me let me let me tell, let me let me just say why, why I think it's strange, right? Let, let, let me just say why I think it's strange that CZ's phone was no, cloned. And I know Joe no, Colasari is well, the, the I lawyer. I would agree it's cloned, but I'm just wondering how they did it. Like, 
Right, no, we, we don't all agree that it's called. Like, like again, like, like I really no, it, think it, that it's it Okay, so <laughs> what I'm saying is I just want to see the fucking evidence. Okay, we right. can speculate okay. all we want, but go ahead. But there's well, yeah. need evidence. Okay, we're well, we're, me... we're into we're into talking over each other and arguing with with each other, and like we're not going to do that. So, Terrence, fill your jets, brother. Tone finish. Yeah. So, so let me just let me just say why I think it's, I'm very su- suspicious as to his phone being cloned. Um, that's one hell of a court order uh, to get like a covert operation by the FBI or the CIA or the NSA or whatever to clone his phone, and the only way they would be able to do that. If it's actually a criminal investigation, neither the SEC or the CFTC have the ability to do like criminal charges. So unless there is an actual, I know, criminal case about to drop on CZ, uh, then that makes sense that they were able, they would have been able to get that court order. But again, like I'm not a lawyer, uh, Joe Colasario can comment on that, and it would be strange that they would, you know, uh, announce that they've cloned this phone when you don't have a criminal charge filed yet. I just, uh, uh, like, I I would have never thought that the SEC or the CFTC had the ability to get these kinds of, you know, upper covert operations to clone people's phones. That's uh, uh, without a criminal, uh, you know, charges filed. That, that's all I'm saying. Okay. So, so has CZ been that. to the my, United States? Hold on, hold on. No, no, God hold on. No, no, because this is... This was in response to what I was saying, right? So let me just continue and you, you can add your thing. I want anyone in the audience or on stage post on Twitter or DM me information about this cloning of the phone that Tone has now mentioned 20 times or whatever. So like, so we could read about it and learn about it instead of relying on Tone's um, assertions or which seems plausible it's a good narrative but i oh, it's not assertions i'm literally that. saying this is why i'm skeptical like <laughs> i don't understand how like this this is being perceived as assertions right. we we've I'm spent enough time on this we're and halt we've spent enough time on this we're moving on uh i think we're deep in the weeds on stuff that doesn't actually matter peter did you have a thought or a comment uh, no, I was just wondering if CZ had been to the United States because, you know, when you come into the United States, they 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 have the ability to take your phone and do whatever the fuck they want with it. And that's just Homeland Security. Yeah, the other thing is if you're a person of interest, so Tone, you mentioned, you know, they wouldn't be able to do it unless there was a criminal investigation. Well, maybe it was signaling that he is under criminal investigation. Maybe they're, you know, you see yeah. what I'm saying? And he yeah, is yeah, being yeah. investigated by the U.S. Attorney's Office that came out on Reuters a few months ago that they were arguing with each other that different parts of the U.S. Attorney's Office were arguing with each other over whether or not. So I guess here's, to go after here, here's a question already. for for the attorneys. Uh, if they have evidence from a criminal investigation, can it be used against him in a civil lawsuit? I. So I'm not an attorney, right? So, uh, look, I think this is super important. Well, like, Terrence I think is an attorney is really or was an attorney. Let, let, let Terrence answer that question. I, I don't know, but what we do know is these agencies do cooperate, meaning the U.S. Attorney's Office. That's the what FTC, I'm saying. NCC sometimes do cooperate. They do compete as well. But, but, and but, if, but, if but someone Terrence, is a person of interest, if someone is a person of interest, I think cloning somebody's phone is probably pretty trivial. Uh, let, let, let me ask you this, right? Like, I, I, I do 
agree that it's very possible to use this kind of stuff in a non-criminal investigation. I just find it weird that a non-criminal investigation was filed first and this kind of, you know, statements were released, yeah, right? Like if it was the other but way around, it would make total sense. Why was that weird? No, it actually makes yeah, total sense to me. Weird. Why is that weird? Like if they're if they're doing the civil and they're trying to seize the assets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They, if they have a criminal investigation pending, maybe it's either A, still ongoing, or B, they can always throw the guy in jail later after they get everybody's money back, right? Right, but, but Alex, here, here's why yeah. I think it's weird, and then Terrence can correct me as a lawyer, is because by doing it this way, you're basically telling CZ that there was a, you know, a criminal investigation, right? Like, like which is a much worse and mm. more severe charge. Yeah, I don't so it's like see a problem with that. Like, if it's okay, I'll, I'll put it to you like this: If it was me running that thing, and I'm not, and I'm not saying I'm a professional at that, but it just makes simple tactical sense to me. If you are trying to uh, pressure somebody, why wouldn't you want to scare the sh ever living shit out of them first? Let me. What's, what's uh, wrong let, with that? Let me try to answer that why, right? So let's say that you are potentially being targeted by the SEC on something you think may not be a big deal and um, you think you're going to fight it. Let's say you're being, you're go, someone, some agency is going after you civilly and you think the worst thing that can happen is you pay a million dollar fine uh, and you have this company holding other people's Bitcoins. But as part of that, you know, uh, court case, on you civilly that you think, well, even if I lose, it's not a big deal. It's a few million. If in that filing, you see clear evidence that a serious criminal investigation is coming, you could be more likely to just run away with that Bitcoin before the criminal investigation can actually immediately sure. arrest you or lock you down. That's a fair point. Logical. Thanks yeah. for making that point. So, Let's go with Chris um, Alimo. Yeah, how's it going? Um, I was looking for the clip in the video, and I think at 13-minute mark, that's when Sam talks about uh, in the SEC complaint, ban CEO A, which is Catherine Collick, that's the name I couldn't figure out, and ban CEO B, which is Brian Brooks. It's like a minute and a half, so I don't know if we want to play all of it, but that's just kind of the reference point in the SEC complaint, talking about uh, the two CEOs talking about like CZ having the back doors and stuff. I don't know if we want to go that direction or not, but just given that for uh, Jacob's reference. All right, we'll let Jacob take a look at it. You can you can let me know later. Uh, I want to say good morning to Greg oh. Foss and Dr. Jeff. Good morning, guys. Morning. Hey, hey, Dr. Jeff, how's it going, man? I loved your tweet this morning. Uh, so, not trying to change subjects, fellas. Let's let's make sure we stay and complete the CZ discussion. Uh, by the way, a little uh, CZ uh, information. Uh, he's a McGill uh, University of McGill graduate in computer science, my uh, undergrad alma mater. Um, wow. You know, Canada continues to punch above our weight in this ecosystem, not always on a proud basis, but uh, there you go. Uh, and then shout out to Dr. Jeff for a great tweet this morning um, on, uh, let's understand it, just because Janet Yellen can pay her bills doesn't mean that they were at, will ever actually get your money back, Okay. The only thing that happens in a debt spiral is that the debt has to roll over and you can pretend you're paying your bills. You're not. You're just accumulating more debt, Janet. I need you to understand that the fact that you're fleecing the, the fact that you're fleecing the world for more debt doesn't mean you're actually paying your bills. Because if you look at a balance sheet, and I need people to understand this, accounts payable are a liability. 
and so is debt. It's also a liability. So shout out to the doc, the good Dr. Ross for correcting Janet Yellen on the terminology paying our bills. You fucking guys aren't paying shit, okay? Love from your attic in Canada. Shout out to Chris Alamo. Uh, I hope we're still friends. Good day. Hey, Foss, are you near any of the uh, fires in Canada? I know you're getting... Uh, Did you guys see that thing that was um, that was sent out by uh, Adam O, uh, Denver Bitcoin, that shows the TikTok video of these mysterious fires with no lightning strikes, all starting within 24 hours. All at the same time. Yeah. All at the same time. Satellite imagery. These yeah, are... Yeah, and what, and, yes. There was a video of literally four fires starting no. within 60 seconds of We're, each other. Yeah, I don't know if you saw yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I am calling bullshit that forest fires don't magically stop at the Canadian-US border, okay? Like, if you think a forest fire actually knows where a land, ma uh, a land border starts and ends... Uh, please don't buy Bitcoin. We don't need your 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 brain power in this space. Okay, thanks. Who who oh, wins from a who wins from a from a forest fire like that? Uh, Mr. Trudeau, who's claiming that the, the the oceans are boiling and that the climate change yeah, is need, causing we need more CO two. We need more CO2. climate climate change is causing crises of the environment all around the world. It's making Humans. random forest fires. It's causing hurricanes. Oceans are rising and swallowing entire fucking nations. Like run around in a circle, screaming and and flapping your wings like a chicken. That will we happen. missed we missed our quarter. We missed our quarter this year, so we had to light some forests on fire. The the West benefits in general. There is a, it's a bit of a distraction from the insanity that's happening in other parts of the world right now that they don't want to deal with. Doctor okay, Jeff, let, let's, tell let's, us something. One Smart. Second, one second. Can okay, we just like, you go then, let's Dr. take a Joe. step back and let's let's just think about this here. Who is making those decisions? Like who's saying, let's light the forest on fires to distract all the sheep? Like who's saying that? But, you know, let's be honest here. Seven serpents. Okay, don't <laughs> oh, God, don't start. <laughs> the question that I have is, does this have anything to do with trying to distract from the the uh, the alien spacecraft that landed in Las Vegas? It was the aliens, Alex. Jeff, please be the adult in the room and save us right now. What's... I, I can barely take any of this anymore. The clown world is so clowny that I, I like. I just am thinking about moving to the moon or something. Somebody, El somebody Salvador. El Salvador is beckoning, my friend. Okay. Did you see Max and Stacy's tweet about uh, how you can get, you know, your residency? And how Bitcoin plays. Oh, yeah. And by the way, a billion dollar funding to mine Bitcoin using volcanic energy. Uh, sort of, sort of, sort of cool. Sort of cool. Yeah, Foss. In all seriousness, my wife and I have that conversation probably a couple times a week now. We're part uh, way there because we have a place in Florida. And I just need to convince my wife to hop across the, uh, what is that? The Gulf of Mexico, I guess, you know, and just uh, live on the Pacific. Yeah, my problem is is I, uh, that that kind of island living and that kind of climate isn't totally for me. I like the mountains, so I, I'd like to form a mountain citadel somewhere in Colorado Springs. Um, but you know, I'll I'll invite you all. Get over. Brian, get Brian Westbury, get Brian Westbury to uh, to be the the CFO of that little citadel, right? The the clown from uh, Northwestern that uh, still you know he called Bitcoin a fraud at two hundred bucks. He lives somewhere in Colorado, pampering or something like that. He, hey, uh, boss. 
yeah. Use your use your newfound uh, Twitter skills and put that uh, that tweet from Max and Stacy in the nest. Oh man, yeah. I, I I I even a blind squirrel can find a nut once, but don't ask me to find a nut a second time, Peter. I'm I'm not. I'm going to fail at that. So sorry. Okay, speaking of citadels, uh, this is kind of tangential, but I thought I'd bring it up now. Is is that uh, coming up soon in the next couple of weeks? Um, you know, we started this thing called BTC Veterans, me and Shane Hazel and uh, Mike Hobart, a couple of other guys. And in a few weeks from now, we're going to be starting a um, spaces every Wednesday night, and it's just going to be a panel of BTC vet veterans. I mean, we're going to invite everybody who wants to come up to talk, but. The main panel is going to be myself, Shane Hazel, uh, Mike Hobart, Gabriel Lord, and uh, Jordan, a.k.a. Operation Libertas. And we're going to be talking about citadels. We're going to be talking about man stuff. We're going to be talking about resilience. We're going to be talking about firearms. We're going to be talking about jujitsu. We're going to be talking about food, water, self-sufficiency, why you need Bitcoin for your uh, financial Freedom. We're going to be talking about the warrior ethos. We're going to be talking about history, honor, citadels, networking citadels. If you're into that kind of stuff, that's going to be the pod. Do what, what's going to be Wait. your rallying cry? Are you going to have a rallying cry? Like you don't know, know the Marines yet. or whatever? Yeah, we'll figure make that one out. up. Make one up. And and that got to be that's got to be your you know hua or whatever, but the equivalent. When is that again, Alex? We're going to do it every Wednesday night, starting about two weeks out from now. Okay, back to Binance. There, uh, there's this just hit, just came out. They're going to be shutting down hundreds of trading pairs. Most of their USDT trading pairs. Um, they're shutting down a bunch of BTC trading pairs as well. Atom, BCH, DOT, LRC, Mana, Uni, Vet, and XTZ are all getting shut down. They're shutting down some BUSD trading pairs as well, uh, and. I mean, the allegations against uh, Binance are pretty substantial. There's uh, unlawful solicitation, uh, investment programs, participation, trading volume reporting, staking programs, wash trading, equity investor stuff, trade surveillance stuff. It's just, uh, it's mind blowing, the, the laundry list of stuff that they're, they're going after here. Terrence? Yeah, and I think it's pursuant. You know, this is breaking news, so we need to figure it out. But yesterday, what was underreported on both um, like news when you search Google, but also on Bitcoin tw or Twitter, is a court already ordered uh, Binance to kind of cease doing a lot of these activities uh, related to the temporary restraining order. So I think this might be in reaction to that, meaning the court granted basically all of the SEC's temporary restraining order related requests saying that the commission, the SEC made a sufficient proper showing in relief of the, uh, in support of the relief granted herein had enough um, evidence that it could pr probably prevail at trial on the merits. And that unless finance was restrained and enjoined by this order, they would continue to engage in acts, practices, and courses of business constituting violations. So um, I just tweeted that out. All right. Well, hey, if that uh, topic Alex, is... Alex, 
Yes, it's boss. I'm, I'm going to step down, but I, I always love Terrence's, uh, uh, you know, critical eye. And uh, I'm looking forward. Maybe uh, Tone Vase, can we get Terrence to come to Un- Unconfiscatable in, uh, in Las Vegas? Because that's when we're going to settle our $1,000 bet, uh, Terrence. I'm going to let and, you off and for steak dinner And steak dinner. You're asking the wrong person. You got to ask like the Swan team and Corey here, not me, if they're going to let him go and let him come to the event. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a car drive away. Where do you live, Terrence? Do you live in Southern Cal? Yes. Yeah. All right. I'll, so I'll be there. You, you yeah. just go over, go over the mountain. Just, it's, yeah, it's pretty easy. Go to Las Vegas and we'll, we'll celebrate the $1,000 transfer of wealth uh, in Las Vegas. Because again, for anyone listening, Terrence gave me 21 to 1 odds on uh, Robert F. Kennedy uh, winning the Democrat uh, nomination. And, no, no, uh, no. It, was, it was that he would become president. He would be president okay, by, well, if he wins the inauguration day by February. It doesn't matter. It we'll figure it out. We're, we're going we're gonna to we're gonna saw off the bet at, uh, in November on, on an appropriate risk-adjusted basis. And the reason I love Terrence so much is because Joe Colasari was, you know, saying to me, oh, my God, you know, GF, uh, go fuck yourself, Foss. Uh, RFK doesn't have a chance. I go, give me odds, Joe, and I'll take the other side. Joe Colasari laid down two to one odds. And I said, no, get someone in there that really knows how to make markets. And here comes Terrence. And he goes 21 to one. And I said, you're done. Now I'm excited because that's where the payoff really makes sense. So you can be a lawyer. And you can pretend that you can lay proper odds or you can be a lawyer like Terrence and actually lay odds that'll get people to uh, to uh, react to the other side. So well done, Terrence. I love your style, kid. And uh, we'll see you in Thank Las you. Vegas. Awesome. All right. <laughs> if we're if we're done with those topics, we've got Tone Vase. We've got Dr. Jeff. It uh, looks like Greg just boogied. But let you guys want to do some market updates? I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts on what's going on with the Bitcoin price right now. Go for it, Tone. Well, he's putting me on the spot first. Okay, so um, the market that, again, really matters to me is the S&P. And uh, I've been bullish on the S&P since last October, and we just made a new swing high. And to me, that is awesome. Um, yes, Bitcoin took a little bit of a nosedive on these legal news. Uh, but the S&P is still doing okay. S&P is still rising. Uh, and I think that actually helped Bitcoin not crash further. Um, I really like this stability. I am a little concerned. I've lowered my bullish allocation to Bitcoin from being, let's say, 100% uh, committed in a trade to 50% bullish committed in a trade. And these are like swing positions. So I don't want to alter them too often, like maybe once a month or something like that. Uh, so it's a little bit concerning. I still think that uh, I'm not ex- well. I'm not expecting Bitcoin to go below 25. I think this low at 25 and a half that we touched for like a few hours. Uh, I think that's a big enough pullback. Uh, crazy things can still happen, uh, but I'm slightly leaning bullish here. Uh, and I think Bitcoin will be breaking out uh, sometime this month, back above that 27.28, and real resistance is sitting at 34. 
Yeah, good stuff, Tone. Uh, I generally agree with that. I think I'm probably a little more bullish about Bitcoin than you in the near term. I still think it's uh, it's been sitting at these oversold levels for a while. Also, gold, they're, they're trading kind of in sympathy with each other. Uh, I'm I'm bullish over the next several kind of weeks to months uh, on, you know, from a near term. I'm obviously massively fanatically long term bullish on Bitcoin. But, you know, from a trading perspective, uh, bullish for the next couple of uh, weeks to months. Uh, I think uh, the NASDAQ, the AI hype uh, is kind of overdone at this point. So I, I think uh, uh, um, sideways uh, to down is is what I would expect for NASDAQ stocks here. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of surprisingly, you know, I'm, I'm crabbish, right? I'm back to Dr. Crab. So I think sideways choppy, especially as long as net liquidity just kind of continues to trend sideways. Uh, it's hard to get overly excited about anything. Uh, even Bitcoin, which I which I do think is at the beginning of its, you know, basically three year bull market. Um, I don't expect a ton more like I think by have by the having date uh, next April um, of 2024. I, I wouldn't I, I'm kind of expecting about 40K Bitcoin. Uh, that's still fantastic. Right. People get kind of, oh, that's so disappointing. But like that's about a what, 60 percent jump from here. Um, uh, and that's in like about 10 months. 60 uh, percent of anything in 10 months is a fantastic, fabulous, amazing return. Um, uh, but Bitcoiners could probably be a little bit disappointed with that. Uh, and then I think the fun starts after that. So I'm, I still think I'll, I'll get very bullish kind of 2024, 2025 when the Fed gets forced into uh, substantial quantitative easing. Um, as Until the liquidity really starts flowing, it's hard for me to get exceedingly bullish on anything. Uh, so that's how I look. So right now, I kind of think crab sideways traders market take profits when things are getting overbought, like I think the queues are uh, buy more of things that are getting oversold, like I think gold and uh, Bitcoin have been and even oil, by the way, uh, which is interesting for me to say because it feels wrong. Uh, but I've been right on that trade so far. Um, anyways, those are my thoughts. So, uh, you know, crab, keep crabbing, baby. I think we'll be talking about crab sideways markets for the next uh, several months. And then one last thing. Uh, from a bigger perspective, I think this is the decade of stagflation. I have our portfolios in full kind of stagflation mode. Uh, basically, um, uh, things that can do well when the economy is stagnant and inflation remains kind of annoyingly, persistently sticky high and volatile. Uh, even if we do have a deflationary bust for a time, which wouldn't surprise me if, if everything crashes, um, I still think inflation is kind of here to stay this decade and it will return again. Uh, and I think that does hamper the Fed a little bit for how how wildly uh, easing they can go, uh, because I think they're scared that they're going to do a repeat of the 1970s Arthur Burns uh, if they just turn on the spigots again. So I think that's going to limit this decade a little bit, uh, the, the liquidity. So anyways, my thoughts. Oh, no, that, that was great, Jeff. Real quick, I'm not going to take up too much more time. I also have to get going in like five, 10 minutes. Uh, on the oil, uh, so what I've been following on my channel constantly is the new major depletion of the strategic petroleum reserve after you know the Biden administration took a break in the first quarter of the year they are back to withdrawing two million barrels they're gonna run out of this thing by the time the next administration takes office which is insane uh, there was a graphic that it took 25 years to fill it uh, as much as they just depleted it in the last uh, like three years since Biden took over basically or like in the last uh, year and a half, sorry. Okay, um, before you go, quick quick thought here that just popped into my head, like the uh, the threat vector thing always, uh, my brain is always moving towards, well, why, why would they do that? Why would they do that? Is it possible that they're trying to set things up to be really, really shitty if they lose the presidency? 
that's my number one suspicion. Uh, it's a combination of setting it up really bad for the next administration and also uh, giving themselves a better chance to win uh, because uh, if they didn't do this, then the gas prices would be higher and inflation overall would be higher because, mm. you know, gas prices uh, flood across everything. I got yeah. one question. Uh, did, did you guys cover that topic on Daily David uh, Bailey's tweet about some, uh, and everyone suspecting it's prime trust, uh, like another major, uh, you know, crypto infrastructure bank custodian going down? Because I joined the space a little bit late. So I was curious what people's thoughts were. I don't know if you covered it. No, we didn't really cover it. Uh, it's speculation at this point. I had a, I had one of my clients ask me directly. He's like, "Hey, is is Prime Trust in trouble?" And my answer to him was, "Well, I don't really know, but uh, if they are, I'm really glad that we moved all of our client assets to a different custodian." <laughs> so I have no idea. I had heard Prime Trust has sufficient funding from their massive raise. Um, fairly recently and they still had cash so i don't think it's them but who knows M main main lesson here i think number one is yes we did upgrade our custodian meaning more states more products uh we should be able to be in 50 states fairly soon and we're already in 48 as opposed to 43 with prime trust i think they're really good but you know we need to be able to do business in, in as many states as possible and number two because of their technology, because of their um, heavily uh, experienced regulate, former regulators at their company, including from Wyoming. Um, you're talking about the new they're one. They're better. Not Prime Trust. You're talking about the new. Yeah, yeah. Custodian. The new one. Yeah. Why Why we moved from, um, why, why we upgraded our custodian, why we call it an upgrade. I'm not sure I'd use the term major upgrade. That was a marketing term, but you know, I, I like Prime Trust. I think they did a good job, but we can do better for our clients and we did. So we're going to be able to offer other products uh, down the road that I think you guys will like. And then lastly, not your keys, not your coins. So please, this is a lesson that you can move your coins to self-custody so you don't have to worry about this stuff, right? So, exactly. Yeah. I was helping I was helping a Swan client move uh move move bitcoin off of the exchange last night thank you for doing that wow that's amazing yeah dude we have the that's best one, we're very lucky to have people like peter and other volunteers sorry real quick and then also our customer support team our bitcoin adoption specialists we call them you can reach them at support at swan.com they are amazing and as a swan customer but especially as a swan private client you get a lot of free help with things like setting up your wallet and moving uh coins and stuff I'll say one last thing before we move on, unless anybody has any pressing questions, is that um, I think we're going to be able to explain in much greater detail why we did this later. Like, I think right now is not the time to be talking about it. I think the time, the thing to be focusing on right now is making sure client assets are safe. That was the number one highest priority. I know some people are upset because we did this really quickly and they're like, oh, some of these services are down and like, I can't buy Bitcoin right now and all this other kind of stuff. And it's like, look, <laughs> you're going to understand later why it's important that we moved quickly. And I'm, I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, and uh, we're going to move on here. I want to welcome up puppy. Good morning, brother. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Yeah, you know, anytime. Look, I'm at I'm fair mining, but as you you always know, if I get if I get a little bit of time in a day, I'm gonna be jumping in. 
hang out with the cafe uh bitcoin crew good to see everyone um nothing really to add right now just uh coming in and listening at the moment but great to see you you too brother peter hey, i just like to, to add on to what you were saying alex i'd just like to say that <clears throat> that corey and some of the other individuals at swan have been right on a lot of things over the especially concerning the safety of of even non-customer assets they've been spot on they've been right and um i'm going to have a tendency to you know trust what swan is doing uh because of that uh, really impressive track record not paid to buy swan not uh not uh supported or whatever it is All right. Shall we move on? I want to welcome 23 Skidoo. What's up, brother? Did you have something you wanted to share? Uh, you're breaking the rules of Fight Club. You got to be ready on that mic, man. I'm up. I'm up. <laughs> How you doing? Good morning, everybody. I'm Bill. I'm Bill in the horse barn. I'm on the roof. I'm on the roof. It takes a while. Can't hear you. Can't hear you. You're very quiet and cutting in and out. We can't hear you. All right. No Thanks hey guys, for coming up anyway. Next time I'm you got better internet. Hey, before you go, Tony, don't go down. yet. Okay. Wait, 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 don't go yet. Tell us about Unconfiscatable. Are you doing it this year? If so, what are the dates? How do people buy tickets? Yes. Uh, it will be December 7 and 8 with the poker tournament uh, the night before on December 6th. It is in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, Old school, downtown Vegas, Fremont Street, uh, great event, small event. Uh, we are looking at 400 people max capacity. Uh, we do intend to fully sell out this year. Uh, this would be our first, uh, which is awesome. It's a small event. We'll have about 20, 25 speakers. Uh, check out unconfiscatable.com. Thanks, Alex, for letting me do a shout out on it. Um, I do plan to be at Pacific Bitcoin as well and Biplock boom those are like the conferences that i'm going to be attending uh pretty much uh will be hard to find me anywhere else uh but just you know these three major uh, bitcoin conferences i wasn't even there at, in miami uh but i made sure that i cleared up the calendar to be at pacific this time myself awesome man looking forward Yay. to seeing you there all right so we got about 15 minutes before uh we have uh Mr. Harmon from Tuttle Twins. So whatever you guys want to talk about. Did you guys cover why I, I noticed you and others have been asking why Bitcoin price on Binance is so high. It's actually at a premium. You'd expect the mm. opposite given the credit risk, right? So yeah, I, we talked about that this morning. Apparently that 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 um, spread has closed and they're back okay. to normal. Got it. And the consensus was, I think, that it's because if people were trading out of certain pairs on Binance and into Bitcoin and into Tether, that's why they were in demand. Bingo. Yeah. And if they're if they're withdrawing Bitcoin, right? So you have so so it's because you have more impatient buyers than sellers. And then if there's not enough supply, because number one, everybody's moving into Bitcoin, so there's demand within Binance. And then number two, if people are self-custodying their Bitcoin, there's less supply. 
um, among the Binance kind of community. And so Binance had to go and get get Bitcoin elsewhere. So maybe that's why. And number three, according to the SEC, who knows what they're doing uh, over there at Binance? True. All right. Any beginner Q&A type stuff? Does anybody from the audience have any questions? Want to ask uh, questions of anybody on this panel? You can come up. If you guys ain't got nothing, I'm going to start talking about uh, Jason. <laughs> I missed that uh, reference. Who's Jason? Lowry. Some people hate it when I talk about Jason Lowry. <laughs> Who? Who's that guy? Who's that? Hey Alex, did you read did you read Lop's critique? Like the one that he went really in depth because he actually read it now. No, I didn't. What uh do you have a summary? Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't really uh, TLDR to be honest. I didn't read it yet in, in its entirety. I read, I read his initial critique, which is the one that he wrote, and it was a lot small, you know, shorter. And that was before he actually read the entire thesis. Um, but yeah, I mean, TLDR was like, you basically, you know, you don't secure data with proof of work. It doesn't really make sense to do that. You can do paywalls, you know, with with reusable proof of work tokens such as bitcoin that makes sense but like i don't know he kind of gets gets into like the idea of why it doesn't really make sense to secure data in the in the ways that lowry's kind of been alluding to um with just like you know quote unquote proof of work and he kind of digs into it and I don't know. It was an interesting critique. And and then, you know, Jason's response was uh <laughs> was childish. But um but yeah, I don't know. Um I would I would give that a read if, if you haven't done it already. It's like, you know, it's a pretty well thought out critique. It's hard Sounds to summarize good. because it's very long and thorough, but it's a good good read. It, it might that's where ChatGPT could help, to be honest. I've used them to summarize stuff. I don't like feeding Bitcoin stuff to ChatGPT. I know a lot of people are doing it. Yeah, but more people are feeding crypto stuff. So that's why when you ask ChatGPT questions about the difference between Bitcoin and crypto, they give such horrible crypto-like answers. So, yeah, I, I hear you. That's a great way to game AI, though, isn't it? Just yep. feed it a whole bunch of garbage. Yeah, yeah. That's why if AI you use it for code, unless we open source and maybe do our own open source. So AI, AI becomes be very well, very crypto, very Silicon Valley. Yes, yeah, sorry. AI becomes Wikipedia on steroids, basically. Is what you're saying? Yep. Yeah, like my friend Larry Sanger, who I don't always agree with, but he's libertarian. He's a co-founder of Wikipedia, who actually conceived the idea ran it while his co-founder Jimmy Wales was doing his for-profit porn site. Um, and Wiki he, he led Wikipedia in the early days. He's a very good friend. And he is constantly criticizing Wikipedia for being ridiculously, you know, left-wing and so forth. I used to disagree with them, but as I've 
opened, my eyes have opened up and he's um, kind of, and Wikipedia's gotten even worse. I kind of now agree with him. I'm over here just thinking like, are there nonprofit porn sites? Good point. <laughs> it's called Wikipedia, Terrence. <laughs> I had not heard that. Okay, That's Terrence, almost uh, better than Wokahontas. Can I can I ask you a personal question here in public? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, are you conservative? Would um, you classify I, yourself I as a conservative? I'm, fis- I'm still fiscally conservative and socially uh, progressive, progressive, meaning I don't. Okay, so I was. Here's an example. People Confused. should do whatever the f they want, right? You want to be gay, whatever, great, or or you are gay, whatever. I don't give a shit. You want to get married, whatever. I don't want my taxes or the government to pay for shit. So if you want to do surgeries that uh whatever i don't you should be able to do it but i don't think you know it should be part of my insurance coverage on a mandatory basis i I don't want to say more than that because i don't want to trigger people and be accused of this or that i haven't fully thought things through i do think people like daniel fong and d plus plus have um articulated and thought about and they're closer to for example the trans community than i am um, aside from hanging out with you guys, kidding, love you all. Um, but uh, in terms of like, you know, seeing the other side, like what Daniel Fong, when he, she was arguing with Elon Musk or discussing things on Twitter, that kind of opened my eyes because I was like kind of suspected there's another side because, you know, kind of sometimes in Bitcoin Twitter, it been in a bit of a bubble. But yeah. but I, I, w- I would not say like I'm quite there in terms of anarchist and the the libertarians have kind of consistently lost elections even though i would like much smaller government and would like the libertarians to do much better but we just keep um libertarians just keep losing the <laughs> by anarchist do you mean lack of government there is no government people are self-governed is that what you're saying yeah i think that works in small communities and maybe that's what we should go back to um i don't agree with that tribes, but like I'm, I'm okay. not a statist at all, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that a complete vacuum of government is a good idea, and I'll tell you why. Okay. The reason, one of the base layers of government, one of the basic functions of government is protection of uh, contract, basically enforcement of contracts and and protection of private property. Now, this is a basic foundational block of civilization by civilization. I mean, that is where people can interact with each other and you're not jumping over fences and bashing people's heads in with, with, with rocks. All right. When you don't have that basic layer foundation, I'll tell you what's going to happen. There are going to be forces that rise through the, through the dominance hierarchy to basically control things. And unfortunately, some of these people are going to be lizards. Now, granted, there's going to be sheepdogs also that are going to do battle with the lizards, but you're going to go right back to fucking feudalism, and it'll happen in a heartbeat. Yeah, we're going to go back to the actual idea of having citadels. We're going to have, like, to have walls around our cities because there's going to be, like, all these, like, group of savages coming to, like, ravage, like, your towns and shit. Like, that, yeah, I agree with Alex. Well, the way you put it, Andrews, you make it sound like it's a zombie apocalypse kind of a, and that's a little harder for people to understand. But the bottom line is, is if you remove the rule of law, you remove the police, you remove the, 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 what do you call it? The system of law, the, the justices and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and you just say, okay, well, people just, just rule yourselves. 
this is a utopian unicorn flying through but, the but, air, farting pixie dust kind of an idea. It's not real. Yeah. Uh, but right. Alex, like, not it's 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 not far. It's not like a dystopian thing. Um, like all like settlements in the past, like all like uh, like civilizations or or cities or anything that that were prominent, like they had to build build walls around them to protect their their citizens. You know, it's like yeah, that, that for precisely the reasons I'm talking right. about. Exactly, yeah. Because the problem yeah. with the people who have this utopian kind of fantasy idea of what the world is do not understand that evil actually does exist. It does exist. You know, the, one of the greatest, okay, I'm going to get a little evil. Treated as, treat it as a buffet, guys. If you don't like it, don't eat it, don't take from the buffet. But evil does exist. And it's like, the, to me, the greatest achievement of what I consider the enemy of mankind is, is that he's convinced people that evil doesn't exist. And people are confused about that shit. And it's very dangerous. And it's it's sometimes it's not even evil. I think it's just like the fight for resources, right? Like we 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 require resources to survive. So like if you have okay, no well let government... me ask you a question, Andres. You think it's just the the thing, the survival for resources? <clears throat> let me put it to you like this. So there's resources. You have your little farm. I have my little farm. Right? It's a battle for resources. So, um, what is this evil or is this not evil? You go and you do the work all year long. <clears throat> I sit on my ass and I don't do shit. You have an amazing harvest. I climb over the brick wall, go over to your house and smash your face in with a rock and I take your harvest. Is that evil or is that just competition for resources? I personally, I call it evil. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, no, definitely. It's just a matter of perspective. Like what, like say you, like the people that are coming in and smashing the people's faces for the resources that they've worked hard for. It's like they have like 20 kids or 30 or 50, 100 kids that are starving. And then they have to like, you know, like from their perspective, they're not committing evil, but they're just like fighting for their survival. So I, I there is evil in the world, obviously, like there is 100% like evil, but it's more nuanced than just like, oh, someone coming and stealing. Like at that point, like if we don't have a, an order in civilization, like I feel like the lines blur between evil and like good, you know, because like people like it's just it's just like that nature is precisely my point. That is why you have to have a rule of law, because otherwise all kinds of crazy shit happens. OK, this is obviously a, an interesting discussion. We have a lot of hands. I don't even know who's next. <laughs> Oh, I was just going to, I had a, a beginner Q&A. Andrew, stop. There's three people with hands up. Well, I had go. my, I had my hand up for a while and that was like. Yeah, like, but, but we've did. been talking about a different subject. Okay. Because okay. I was like interjecting in your subject. But Andres, let me... you, use, you use your resources, bro. You've used your allocation of speaking time. We're going to go All right, someone I'll else. Back we'll to come back to you. Hop over the fence. <laughs> Yo, back Stay on your side of the fence. Who's next? Be gentlemen. I don't know who's next. Hey, I don't. I don't like to stay on stage too long, so I'll just ask my question real quick. I, I like these types of discussions. Um, hi, everyone. Good morning, all my friends. Good um, morning, Alex. Yeah, Alex. Do you? What do you think about? So you talked about that rule of law that there needs to be, you know, people to enforce law. What about private contractors uh, enforcing law? Because I feel like there is a There's dichotomy no between, between that and feudalism. Okay, back in the day, oh, okay, go you ahead. would have some lizard that was like the local lord, right? And he would have a bunch of man-at-arms. Well, what were the man-at-arms? They were private contractors.
I don't get it. I guess I lost it. Can you explain it a little bit more? Did I miss anything? It seems it, it seems connection? to me that Alex that uh, is having connection issues and about to uh, okay. drop off. Oh no, he's Am back. I? He's back. No, you're back. I just heard I, that. I just feel that the Lords had private contractors, but I guess what I'm saying is that what if communities got together to crowdsource private contractors, where the police essentially work for the community as opposed to the police is working for the police organization is, is a direct employee of the state institution. Okay. Now that I think is probably going to happen. So first of all, police are employees of the state institution by and large, first of all. But second of all, if we go to a, a, a situation where we actually have citadels, my opinion is you're going to have every citadel is going to need a handful of hard, do, hard dudes who aren't afraid to pull a trigger. That's going to happen, but this stuff, it, this stuff it, already it, exists. It's called gated communities. They're all over. Well, the we, well we, Alex, we, we saw a great example of what happens during the black lives matter movement, like out on the East coast, like thugs took over. And then it wasn't a, it wasn't an effective rule of law because they were, they determined the rules. There was, was a lack of the rule of law. That was anarchy. That's precisely what I'm talking about. These are the conditions that I believe will exist if we have no rule of law. So but you said that like under feudalism that you'd have like they'd have their own private people that would go out and like enforce things. But there was nothing private about that because that was all funded through taxes or going out and like taking the crops from your the local farmers under that feudal lord. So like not, none of not, that is statism. That is not private actors. Mm, that's true, I suppose. But I mean... Ulrich asked the question about contractors in terms of like basically hired firepower, right? And in my opinion, it's basically the same thing. Well, and it's yeah, also it's also important. Uh, sorry, sorry, um, Libertas. Uh, there, it's also important to acknowledge that there's like the the lines that differentiate between private and public um, government is really just like it's authority by a different name. It's, it's like there's really no difference. It's just private authority hierarchical structures are affect a smaller percentage of the population versus like when you have something like a like a state system or a feudal system like like it's all the same shit, guys. I think the other thing to consider is, you know, there's a certain degree to which the power the state needs to have power when you start getting these really large companies that start having monopolies over resources and things because I mean if you don't have <laughs> if you don't have a large state to combat that then you know what do you think is going to happen when you know one of these large like uh, energy producing companies just all of a sudden control all the energy you know what I'm saying like so I don't know like it, it gets real kind of iffy when there's when there's no one to combat that side of things it's not black and white all right I'd like to I, hang on, Jordan. I'd like to hear from Humble Warrior. We haven't had her up here in a little bit, so good morning, Humble. Good morning, everyone. Um, <clears throat> yeah, just listening to the conversation, and I can go on quite lengthy <laughs> conversation about this, but in summary, like what I'm thinking is with all of these systems, if the incentives are the way they are now, or even if there's, you know, there are these evil or consumerism type incentives, um, it's just, they're all going to fall apart. So, uh, just, that's, I guess my opinion. 
But if the well, incentive is to build a community and for people to work together and not have the latest and greatest thing and to gain power, I don't know, just kind of throwing that un, out. Un, unfortunately, Humble, um, I don't know everybody else's like opinion or position on this, but I'm of the opinion and position that the way the species and reality is right now is these structures are built and intended and this, well, maybe not intended, that's kind of probably the wrong word, but they're like, they're supposed to be temporary. Just like how markets, like price is always temporary. Like it, like you're never going to be high forever. You're never going to be low forever. There's always price discovery. It's the same thing with like rule of law and civilization and society. Like we're going to like, like the, the progression is going to be just like the breakout and breakdown that you see on charts. Like we're going to find a new thing. We're going to develop a new technology. We're going to develop a new system or a new way of doing things. We're going to push it to its limit. It's going to break some shit. Then we're going to reconsider. We're going to consolidate just like on a chart. And then it's probably, it's either going to succeed and it's going to continue higher or it's going to break down and we're going to have to regroup and rebuild things. That's, that's just how all of civilization and human society has developed like all the way back across history. Okay. We're going to pause here for one second. Cause I want to welcome Daniel Harmon, the creator of the Tuttle twins TV show to the stage. Good morning, Daniel. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me on. You bet. We are having a, a discussion basically about um, this, this thought came up about what is, what is a, uh, anarchism and and people who um believe in that kind of thing and then we got to talking about the rule of law we got to talking about why it's important for the basically the enforcement of contract protection of private property that type of thing which has led into kind of the discussion you've been hearing so you're welcome to jump into this uh if you want to you're not required to obviously we're going to be diving deep in here with daniel here in a little bit uh as we wrap up this last topic yeah, I will probably wait until we get more into Bitcoin and probably just listen for a minute if that's cool. Yeah, yeah, of course. No obligation to, to jump on that. The, 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 it, the, Alex, I wanted to add the important thing that like to continue on my little tiny little rant on the structure of human society is um, people need to get comfortable with change and accept the fact that change is the only constant in reality. It's like like this this touches on Bitcoin, this touches on money, this touches on technology, this touches on physiology and like improving physical fitness and health. Like there's no constant in all of the world and all of reality except for the only one constant, which is change is inevitable. But I guess and then to add to add on to that, it seems like the state is the only thing that seems to be fighting that change because they will do whatever it takes to maintain their power. And the only thing that they do to maintain their power is to uh, perpetually grow, uh, which is breaking shit. Yep. Yeah. I would agree. I with mean, that. that's an astute observation The what, like the analogy you may have, some of you may have heard me use this analogy before, but the way I think about it is I, I personally believe there has to be some level of rule of law and enforcement of the rule of law. I think that that should be absolute, absolutely minimal and it should never grow beyond what's minimal. And then I also do believe in national defense. I do not believe in nation building. The founders of the, of the United States of America said, do not engage in nation building. Do not engage in entangling alliances. Do trade with everyone. Or right? central banking. Basically, defend yourself or central banking for that matter. Thanks for pointing that out. Um, 
I sent you a, a DM uh, before I got on stage. So would you consider yourself a men archist, Alex? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but what I was going to say is the analogy that I've used in the past that some of you have heard me use before is that like in the beginning, it was kind of like government was a little tick on the back of the dog, a little tick. It was tiny. And it was sucking the blood out of the dog in order to survive, right? And over time, it sucks more blood and it gets bigger. And then it sucks more blood and it gets bigger. And it sucks more blood and it gets bigger. And the next thing you know, where we are today is the tick is actually bigger than the dog. And it's pretty ridiculous at this point, Jordan. Sir Ehrlich, not yeah. bad for a tall guy. Bring in the fire. Ehrlich. Who's that Ehrlich? It's Ulrich. What's that, Mike? Ulrich. No, it was not. I wish it <laughs> You know, you um, guys focus on my mispronunciation of his name, and you don't focus on the joke. The tall guy brought something fired. Boomers. Yes. Thank you, Pete. <laughs> yeah, so, like, you, Alex, you mentioned, like, yeah, we still need rule of law. We still need police force. Like, we still need defense, things like that. Like, all, I... And I come at this like I'm a full on like anarchist. Um, all those things would still exist. Like you would still have rules. I just think instead of like our current justice system, you would have things more like um, like more like the civil courts. Um, I'm forget. I'm drop, drawing a blank on the name for it. Where uh, yeah, a couple people like you can sign into a contract and then have it disputed through like a firm arbitrators. Yeah, yeah. well, it would be it would um, be far more decentralized, right? You would have smaller tribes of people, smaller societies. I'm talking about organizing humanity at a much larger level, which may or may not be necessary. But my my thinking on this is that you're right. I'm not disagreeing with that. That will happen. But will also happen is you will start to see Genghis Khan's pop up who do well, not they, respect these little well, citadels. I think the more you, um, a lot of this comes really, it comes down to like education. Like you're going to need people that like know how to like shoot guns and defend things, but it comes down to like educating the populace of like why we don't need this centralized force. If you truly want to be free, like I think it, like the founding of America was like amazing. Like it, it was great that the founders found a way to make like a very limited government because that was kind of like an unheard of thing at the time. But as you said, like with your tick analogy, it kept growing and we've just got to like, so we kind of educated people on like, here's some principles of being free and we've just got to take it to like the next level. And once you have that, then you have like the Genghis Khan that's trying to take over things. And then you've get these local citadels that start banding together to be like, no, we're fighting back against this because we know what it turns into. And that all comes down to education. And that is a constant fight and a constant struggle to like educate people. I think but something I think real quick, I real quick, say, I just wanted to touch on the whole, like, I think uh, Jordan to your, to your point, like maybe even um, like as a, as because like Alex was talking about establishing a standard and I think that even more important than the educative aspect that like, which I agree with as far as like being able to use a firearm and self-defense and all that um, we need to get back to establishing a, code of contact or code of conduct or like a um an honor system like you could you could look back to feudal um the feudal like medieval times if you want with like knights and all that stuff but 
really basing it off of what the American military has as far as like honor, integrity, self-discipline, selfless service, like stuff like that, because you can be the most educated person in the world. But if you don't, if you are operating on a sense of honor and integrity, you're going to become these disgusting, parasitic, like pieces of shit that are ruining the world that we're seeing currently. So like if we were to, if we were to like return to like a focus on honor and integrity and just like those kinds of points, like as a baseline, as a standard, because that would be the standard that Alex mentioned earlier, in my opinion, where um, even when things like do break down, like there's still that baseline of like, you don't do evil onto others that like you like that aren't isn't justified right because there there are some acts of evil that we have to do unto others in order to protect like the the selfless that are out there like some would argue that killing another is evil but sometimes it's necessary um i don't want to take it there but like it's just well it, it depends it, upon the circumstances right it, killing yeah. somebody you know i mean look and to bring it into a biblical context, because some people are like, well, killing people is straight up evil. I'm not saying it based upon that. The Bible also says there is a time for war. There's a time for all things under the sun, right? It just depends. Con context matters. So to add on to what Mike was saying, I don't know if there's another military in the world that has a general order that says, uh, I will not follow an unlawful order. So that's, that is that integrity that he's talking about. Um, I also want to say that you know, I think for the first time in in history, we're going to have a monetary technology that that benefits all while while not allowing the few to benefit. And so, you know, for the first time in history, well, not the first time, well, kind of sort of the the U.S. dollar is ubiquitous throughout the world. Right. Um, unfortunately, the U.S. dollar uh, resource mines from most of the world for, for the benefit of the few. And once Bitcoin is instituted across, uh, across humanity, um, there's no longer going to be that one-sided kind of flow of resource from, from, the, from the many to the few. And because of that, I think that changes a lot of the ethos of a lot of people. And if you get that ethos change that you guys are all kind of touching on, um, if that starts to permeate throughout humanity, um, I think that uh, Jordan is correct that that there's a lot of this stuff is going to it's going to be there in the background. It's going to kind of go away because it's just not going to be as necessary. So, for instance, in a hyper uh, Bitcoinized world, are we going to have to protect shipping lanes? I don't know that we're going to have to protect shipping lanes because it's to everybody's benefit for those shipping lanes to stay open, you know, to be able to 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 uh, to to do commerce. Right. Um, so I, I think it changes things on a really fundamental potentially changes. Thing, I hope so. That's the vision that I like to think about, um, that it put that it changes things on this fundamental level and people start to change because of that. Okay, this has been a fascinating topic, but we need to switch gears now. Um, does anybody have any burning comments that they want to finish off with uh, before we focus in with Daniel Harmon on the Tuttle Twin Show? I really did have one quick thing I wanted to say, but we can move. It's on the same topic. You're you're breaking the rules of Fight Club. You took you came off mic and you started saying this. You need to finish your comment. All right. So just real quick on like the minarchist thing. Uh, I think 
most like I think all politicians are minarchists. I think Hillary Clinton is a minarchist. She believes in the minimum amount of government that is necessary to accomplish what she thinks government should do. Um, and so I think at the same token, like somebody saying, like, we just need like a very small, like night watchman government. Well, that's always going to turn into something more. Um, and that's not my thing. I've, I've stolen that from somebody else, but I think everybody's a minarchist. It's just, what do you want to achieve? Okay. We're going to have some amazing conversation while we do the, the BTC vets, uh, pod coming up. This is going to be crazy. <laughs> All I'm right. fucking stoked. <laughs> it's going to be fun. We have diverse views. Uh, clearly doesn't mean we can't be friends and aren't friends. It's going to be awesome. Okay. I want to welcome again, Daniel Harmon, the creator of the Tuttle Twins TV show, an award-winning cartoon that teaches kids about the principles of freedom and economics based on the book series that has sold over 5 million copies. Their Bitcoin episode does a amazing job explaining Bitcoin and the concept of hard money to kids. By the way, I just want to applaud you because I think it was Bastiat that basically said that if you want to take over a country, you don't have to do it kinetically. You do, do it in the schools. You do it with the children. And within two generations, you own it. And, man, I really admire and appreciate what you guys are doing. Well, thank you. Um, we are doing our best to play the long game. <laughs> At the end of the day, like you said, it kind of starts with it starts with the kids. And what we're trying to do is just provide resources for parents that already believe in these things to be able to teach them in a way that can ignite conversations around the dinner table and critical thinking at home. And so far it's been working. It's been, it's been, there's been a tremendous movement behind it. You mentioned the success of the book sales and now we've got the, um, the TV show going and people are loving it. So we're, we're excited about that. Okay, my apologies. I'm kind of multitasking here. So tell us a little bit more about the book series. Like, how did this whole thing start? What's the background? What? Why are you doing this, first of all? Yeah, so the author of the book series, Connor Boyack, he and I have been friends for a long time. He released, he he went online to find book resources for his kids when he wanted to teach them about things like rights to life, liberty, property, and um, economics, just the principles of freedom, and came up pretty empty-handed when he did a Google and an Amazon search. And so he's just like, well, okay, I guess I'll just write a book myself <laughs> for my kids. And he based it off of Frederick Bastia's The the Law. And when he released that first book, um, it's called The Tuttle Twins, The Law, I, I bought it immediately, read it with my kids, really enjoyed it. And I don't think he ever had any intentions of making it into a series, but with the success of the book, he decided to make another one and then another one. And he did one on the golden rule and he did one on, on free trade and, and he did one on entrepreneurship and on and on to where he's got this whole book series and my family um, loved him. It was all, it was the kind of book that I always wanted as a kid and a resource I was really craving as a parent. So I bought all the books as they came out and, Essentially, the series started to gain enough momentum that he started thinking about turning it into a TV series. And my background is actually in film and um, advertising. 
Um, I'm a co-founder of an ad agency called Harmon Brothers that's known for viral hits like Squatty Potty, Poopery, Purple Mattress, Chatbooks, um, Camp Chef, ClickFunnels, um, uh, uh, Kodiak Cakes, all, the, all these different kind of campaigns that we've done. And so I had kind of gained some skill and expertise in storytelling um, with video. And um, I actually had a little bit of background in animation as well, where I'd studied at some in college. And um, I reached out to Connor when he was saying, oh, we want to do a TV series. And me and my partner reached out to him and said, no, we want to do the TV series for you. And um, I had kind of this vision of what the Tuttle Twins TV series could be, where we could bring in elements of comedy and adventure and make it into something that kids would hopefully choose to watch over their options on Disney Plus, Netflix, um, you know, YouTube and the like. And at the same time, they would be getting really great lessons about, about the free market, about um, economics, about central planning, about entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship, about inflation. And um, that was kind of the vision for the series. And it's turned out to um, work out really well where we've had a lot of, Parents, just like ourselves, that are like, where was this when I was a kid? Or, or why hasn't this been around in all my time and homeschooling my kids? I mean, we have a lot of um, people that, uh, that follow us that are, that are homeschoolers and or, or people that either consider themselves conservative or libertarian. And where it's finally putting into, into principle and in, in culture and media something that they believed in all along, but now they can... They can see it, and they can articulate it, and they can have conversations with their kids about it. And so it's been it's been a really fun ride. I don't know if that answered your question, Alex. Yeah, that is absolutely fantastic. And something I'm curious about is, is that so we talk on this show, we talk about I think fairly complex topics on a fairly regular basis. Uh, things having to do with economics, monetary theory, monetary history, um, inflation, etc things that are often difficult for many many adults to understand. Like a lot of this stuff yeah. is obfuscated. I think my personal opinion is that's done intentionally. However, regardless of whether that's true or not, I mean, getting adults to grok this stuff is, is, is a hurdle sometimes. Like talk to me about your thought processes and how you actually figured out how to explain this to kids. I'm fascinated by that. Uh, so first off, I have seven kids of my own, so I have an in-house focus. Wow. God bless you, man. Like you're doing your part. No, <laughs> no God bless my wife, Alex. <laughs> um, right. At the, yes. at, the end, at the end of the day, um, I, I have an in-house focus group. And so I'm able to test all my material early on, um, with, with my kids, they're big fans of the show and kids are really great because they won't lie to you. Um, in, in trying to please you, like you can tell when they're getting bored, you can tell when they're not laughing, you can tell when they're not understanding. And so I just have to go and read scripts to them and test animatics, which is just a collection of storyboards put together, edited together in kind of a temporary format to show kind of what the, the, the episode will look like. And I, I test those things with them and, and we do that with our audience more broadly as well. We have a really robust um, Facebook group that's very supportive in, in helping the shaping of the show. But really what it comes down to is when you can explain it so that an eight-year-old can understand it, 
then adults are, it, it's actually kind of how an adult wants to learn too, is what we're learning. Yeah. Is that, I, I, that, I talk to my engineering team all the time. I'm like, explain it to me like I'm five. <laughs> exactly. That um, parents are saying, man, I'm, I'm, I've believed this stuff all along, but now I'm understanding it for the first time. And in season one of Tuttle Twins, we had an episode on inflation. It was our most popular episode. Um, it's been it's been shared all over um, all over Instagram and YouTube and TikTok, and people just saying, "Oh, I finally am understanding where this is coming from." Because you see, they see so many mixed messages out there in media about you know the causes of inflation. And it turns out it's actually really simple, right? It's Government inflates the money supply. It creates a bunch more money and it raises prices. That's kind of what it boils down to. And we help them understand that in the context of the Federal Reserve and um, fiat currency. And um, we do it in a way. So, so the show is essentially it's, it's a, it's a sci-fi um, adventure series. There's a grandma with a time tra- traveling wheelchair who takes her, her, her twin, um, grandkids back on adventures in time to learn from historical figures about these things. So she takes them back in time to learn from Frederick Bastiat, to learn from Benjamin Franklin, to learn from uh, Milton Friedman, to, to learn from uh, Henry Hazlitt, from uh, Harriet Tubman and Rosa Parks and all these different figures in history. And so that's kind of the format where the twins will run into sort of a pain point in their own lives of something where they're trying to grapple with the principle that say like inflation. And then um, she whisks them back in time to learn, to kind of see how the coin clipping was happening in ancient Rome and how the, the, uh, the government even back then was ma- manipulating the money supply. And then now we get to a point where we're just printing it like crazy. And then kids are really understanding how that works because we, we take them through an adventure where they are seeing um, the ticket supply at a local, like a local carnival um, where, you know, they give away the different little um, tickets that you win at uh, when you go and play the different games. And the ticket supply is being inflated to where there's just so many tickets. And so the prices on all the gifts at the at the gift shop are going through the roof. And they're trying to figure out how this is working. And that's how they're learning about that. And we did the same thing um, with this, um, not our most recent episode, but our, our third episode in, in season two. We we talked about it with, with Bitcoin and helping the twins understand the concept of hard money how Bitcoin itself is hard money um, and how we, we, we actually talk about it in the context of gold as well. And we, we're not necessarily hard selling Bitcoin is really help, helping them understand the soundness of the technology behind it. And we hyper focus in on Bitcoin because we figured if we went after all of crypto, that was too much <laughs> altogether. Um, and it just kind of one little thing at a time. And um and obviously, Bitcoin has shown its staying power the most, um, has withstood the test of time, and it has the most history behind it. And so we really focused in on that. And we had someone telling us, you, you guys explain in 20 minutes what I haven't been able to explain to my wife in 7,000 hours <laughs> or something along those lines. Exactly. Jeez. Anyways. <laughs>
That is so cool. Okay, so for all of you adults in the room listening, A, if you don't understand Bitcoin yet, go watch the Tuttle Twins. B, if you're trying to orange people, orange pill people and you're not successful, have them go watch the Tuttle Twins. That's hilarious. Yeah, and it's free too, right? We're we're available. Our distributor's Angel Studios that's known for the hit ser- TV series, The Chosen, which is about um, the life of Jesus Christ from sort of the, um, the perspective of those that followed him. And, um, you know, the chosen has been now seen by um, 100 million people all over the world, and we're on the Angel app. Did you say 100 billion? 100 million. 100 million. No, they're they're going for a billion viewers. That's their goal. But um, they've now been seen by over 100 million people. And um, with Tuttle Twins, we're on the app. It's free. You can go and download the Angel app and watch it for free. All the episodes are are there um, and available because we want our mission is to reach. 100 million kids with the ideas of freedom. And it's all about the long game, right? It's it's winning, about winning the hearts and minds of kids early on. Um, it's not about the next election cycle or anything, anything like that. It's, it's all about helping give a foundation that can um, better empower the next generation to make a difference in their own community. And um, it's it's one family at a time. It's not this thing of like, oh, if we just get the right person as president, then everything's going to be okay. It's not it's that not that kind of thing at all. It's much more empowering at a at a, at a local level. That's how we're approaching the show. I think what you're doing is really needed today. I think that uh, the public school. This is just my opinion, but the public school system in the United States of America is absolutely craven, off the rails. Uh, I could not have my kids in this system today. My kids are all grown. I actually left the United States of America because I did not want my kids growing up in the public school system here. Mm-hmm. And uh, that may sound extreme, but I love my kids. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think there's a lot of parents who feel the same way. And it's like, man, it's such an incredible resource. Yeah, it really is. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we're hearing from parents left and right. I'm creating the show that I would have wanted as a kid and that I want for my kids. And by extension, that's representative of a much larger audience. And we know that it, not all of our, um, not all of our viewers are, you know, have left the country to find better schooling or are homeschooling. Um, there's a ton of them that do have their kids in public schools. And we actually have a, we have an episode coming up later this season that talks about um, education specifically and the failings of it. And, um, and where the the focus has not been as much on, you know, teaching kids how to think, but what to think. And um, and so we kind of attack that head on in a later episode of season two that hasn't released yet. That'll be coming out, I think, uh, in the fall. But um, you're right that this is missing from the public education system and it's missing from culture. And that's what we're trying to do with the show and with the book series and, uh, you know, based on the success, success so far, it's clear that there is an incredible need out there for it. And, and parents are very much waking up to the idea that they can't wait around on their government or their school system to change, that they need to take responsibility upon themselves for the education of their kids. Yeah. And that's, that's why this is having the growth that it is, is so many are saying, okay, I can either wait for someone else to do something about this or I can do it myself and we can kind of take charge of the education of our children and empower them further here in the home 
and give them resources where they can learn some of these things that we already believe, but that no one else is teaching or reinforcing anywhere else. And yeah. I mean, my, my theory behind it is that is this, if I, if I say the words with great power comes great responsibility. Thank you, Alex. Yes. Anyone can finish that sentence for me. Right. Because there's an incredible story behind it, right? The original Spider-Man, I, should, I don't know if it's the original, but the Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire back in the day, a really incredible story, um, uh, a pop culture icon is used to tell a very significant truth, right? With great power comes great responsibility. And that's kind of the approach that we're taking with the show is that if we teach these principles in a way that's really fun and entertaining the kids will remember it, hopefully, for years to come. So in the Bitcoin episode, we teach that when money is easy to make, society begins to break. And we're teaching it in the concept of hard money versus easy money. We teach about it with Bitcoin. How Bitcoin is hard money. It's very hard to make. And so, therefore, it's, it's, it's much more easy to trust what's going on with it. We teach about things like Disagree doesn't mean enemy. You touched on that earlier in the conversations, right? That you can have someone that you passionately disagree with, and that doesn't all of a sudden mean they're on team bad and you're on team good, right? We t- we we teach about how sometimes it's okay to civilly disobey. We teach about the the concept of of civil disobedience, and we teach about how um, the entrepreneur makes problems fewer. How they go about say, solving problems in the world. So that's what on entrepreneurship. And that free trade gets stuff made. Uh, when you allow for the free trade of goods and services and, and specialization all over the world, that's that's how this spontaneous order comes about, and how how things as complex as a, you know a number two pencil. No 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 person in this world knows how to make you know a simple pencil, but with the collective power and specialization and training all over the world, then that that can kind of come about where the paint is sourced from here and the wood from there and and the graphite from another place, the rubber from another. And anyway, th- those are the kind of concepts that we're teaching um, in this and hopefully distilling it down to simple principles where kids can remember some of these little, these little catchphrases um, where they can take them on and, and, and apply them in their own lives. All right. This the, is the, fantastic. The mnemonics is brilliant. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm a, okay. I'm already a big fan. I'm going to go buy the books. My, I'm going to have grandkids at some point. <laughs> they are going to sit with me. We're, we're going to re, we're going to read this stuff. We're going to watch the cartoons together. We're going to do all of it. Uh, okay. Do you have any major points you want to make before? And if it's okay with you, I'd like to open it up for questions from both the panel and the audience. Yeah, I'd love to take some questions. Um, any other major points I want to make? Um, I mean, just go to TuttleTwins.tv. Um, that's where you can. Um, uh, find us, or you can go to, um, you can also go to, uh, uh, the Google play store or, um, the, the app store, and you can download the angel app for free and all the episodes are available there. If you like what you see, you can even pay it forward. So meaning you can watch for free and then you can pay it forward for someone else to be able to watch for free. And that, that works out great. So, um, anyway, yeah. The, have you guys have thought about setting up like donation links or anything like that for people who just want to donate to what you're doing? Um, yeah, I mean, we have a form of that within the app. There's the pay it forward system, and that allows people to essentially um, – uh, It's we're, we're not a 501c3. We're a for-profit venture. 
So it's not a donation, but you can pay it for it for other people to watch it. And again, our mission is to reach a million, um, a million, uh, sorry, a hundred million kids with the ideas of freedom. And uh, we think that it is more possible when it's free and accessible in this way. And so that's why we've partnered with um, Angel Studios to bring this show to the world. But yeah, there, there is, um, I think at the end of the episode that's on YouTube, I think the Bitcoin in an episode in its entirety might be on YouTube. And I think there might even be, um, I think there's a QR code at the end of that, uh, a way to like awesome. uh, pay it, pay it forward to uh, a wallet. And so, yeah, we've got, we've got ways for people to do that. Or like you said, just, you know, any of the books you buy, any of the graphic novels that we have. So we have a graphic novel that's based on each episode that we release. Um, the original book series by Connor Boyack and Elijah Stanfield, you know, that's all available out there, but and we've got t-shirts and different merch and stuff. And, you know, we're just, we're just kind of getting started here. The plan is to take this seasons and seasons in, into the future. Cause there's always going to be something more to talk about when it comes to freedom and economics. Awesome. I love what you guys are doing. If we can be part of helping you push that mission forward, anything we can do, we're all about it. You know, tweeting, My- tweeting when we put our clips out, that helps guys. So yeah, <laughs> that, that, that helps a ton. All right, let's go. Mike Hobart. Dude, I, I really like, um, I like the whole project that you're talking about. And I'm honestly probably like the Bitcoin stuff is cool and everything, but I'm probably honestly most excited for this, uh, kind of elaboration on the American education system. And I, you mentioned it and it got me pretty amped because I've personally been like pissed off about it since I kind of like uh, had my eyes open three years ago to it. And I just wanted to provide two, um, two books that might be useful to you as far as provide like having base content for like further episodes and everything, if you're interested. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. One, one book would be Tailspin by Stephen Brill. The, uh, the, the contents of it are relatively complex because he goes into it in a very granular fashion to explain how a lot of these systems um, have gotten to the point of failing. Um, yeah. But he talks about the education system. He talks about um, how the subsidies in America or uh, government intervention has screwed up like the mechanisms that would produce effective members of society and all that stuff. So if you, if you want to use that by like, I, I would like, by all means. And then there's the book um, On Being Certain by Robert Burton. And there's a quote in there that that, um, as soon as you mentioned the American education system, I thought might be useful for um, getting across to children. And there's a quote on page 84, chapter eight, where he says in one sentence, memorizing facts doesn't require logic, cause and effect, or any significant ability to reason. I think that that would be um, really, really, I don't know. I don't know what the target age group is for the kids, but um, at least six to 12, six to 12. So it could could, like, if disseminating the idea could be useful as far as like getting the message across. I just wanted to help in any way I could. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate those book recommendations. And we do have another episode. You mentioned the the subsidies. We have one that um, we have an episode coming up later on the season two that specifically deals with, subsidies and how they mess up the market and so that'll be a fun one too awesome i'm gonna have to watch I'm, this cartoon i'm looking forward to that one too myself actually <laughs> all right uh, uh let's go with humble warrior hey so my daughter watched the uh bitcoin episode bitcoin and the beast the other day and for her she kind of has her own little idea of what she wants to watch so you know deviating from that is a little difficult 
but she loved it. And her, I, I posted sure. about this, that her attention was captured throughout. Um, so two other things that I thought was, well, really one was very amusing, <laughs> um, was the fact that at the end of one of the videos, cause we started watching a couple different ones too. Um, you were interviewing college students and you were asking them, you know, different things about how the government operates and will the government take care of you, et cetera. And then you are interviewing the Tuttle twins kids. And it's just amazing. You have a little six-year-old totally coming up with the right answers. And the college student has absolutely no idea and has this assumption that they're going to be taken care of and everything's great and fine and wonderful. Um, so obviously your work is making an impact. It's sticking with them, the kids. Um, yes. And, we, go ahead. Yeah. You know, no, the other thing I was just going to say is uh, the worksheets that you guys kind of have at the end um, of the, the videos as well. That was really cool. I haven't printed any out yet with to do with my daughter, but that's really an awesome thing. Yeah. So we are seeing that when kids are studying the books watching watching the tv show and um you know reading the graphic novels and all this stuff that they are bas they basically know already probably more than 98% of politicians do <laughs> just just in that education alone is kind of what we're finding that they understand more fundamentals and principles of how things actually work um than than you know most of the people we see in in congress so that's that's been pretty encouraging. And, you know, we, we overcomplicate things. And that's kind of, I think, a little bit intentional that um, in, in media and in school and stuff, oh, you can't really understand this, this stuff. That's, that's for the economists. That's for, you know, the people in office. And, the, and it gets a, sort of this elitist vibe of like, no, the that's not for the average person to understand. And that's, that's just a lot of bull. Like they're, they're, you can understand these things fundamentally as a, as a child. And um, anyway, that's the way we're attacking it is, is hopefully distilling it down to the way that kids are digesting it and, and the parents are, are understanding it much better. And then it's spurring those conversations at home. This has always been intended as a co-viewing experience. And we've been excited to learn that it's about 80% of our episodes are watched with both parents and kids. And so that's really encouraging. We never wanted this to be, the kind of thing where parents just sort of turn it on and just let their kids run with it. Like that we wanted them to watch it with their kids. I mean, their kids, when they go get on the fifth viewing, I don't think the, <laughs> I don't think the parents are watching a whole lot by that point, but it is encouraging to see families watching it together. All right, BJ. Yeah, man, just want to say congratulations. Uh, your work is amazing. And uh, not just for kids, man. Uh, recently, I was with some uh, family friends in their late 60s talking about uh, Bitcoin. And the friend of ours, he said, he said to me, OK, the dismissal line he always gives people. Explain to me like I'm five. And <laughs> I said, how about a cartoon? I said, what do you mean? He said, explain like you're five. A cartoon? A few minutes? He said, OK. I put it on. And boy, did that break through all the barriers. And it got him thinking. So um, amazing okay. work, uh, absolutely amazing. And if we can help in any way, I think everybody in this room is enthusiastic about helping. Awesome, thank you. I appreciate. It. Like I said, the tweets are amazing. Anytime you retweet our stuff, when we when we um, when we share it and put those clips out there, and then also anytime people pay it forward, um, that is tremendously helpful in uh, furthering the creation of additional episodes. 
a quick tip on how to do that. If you don't do use uh, lists on Twitter, figure it out. This is the proper way to use Twitter, by the way. Use lists. It is going to totally amplify uh, and leverage up your the way you use Twitter. And then the other thing is we have this thing called the Cafe Bitcoin Effect where occasionally we'll talk about something and then whatever we're talking about gets crushed. So let's do it. Cafe Bitcoiners, you know what to do. When uh, put, put Tuttle Twins on a list, when you see them pop, let's, uh, let's help them out here. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Andres, go. Oh, hey, um, thanks for letting me up for my question. Um, I, <clears throat> my question is regarding like strategy to reach like outside of the sort of like bubble of like, if you want to call it people that are like based or, you know, like red pill or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. um, do you guys have a strategy to reach out? Like your cartoon is amazing and it could be like super mainstream. Um, but, I, but I'm always like thinking about how like mainstream like uh cartoons and all that like kids just like you know parents don't have time and like they just like put on whatever nickelodeon or whatever uh they're watching today and and those are the cartoons and the ideas that are being fed to them right and so uh, have you guys thought of like i'm sure you have but can you give us a little glimpse into how you're you're trying to reach like a wider audience outside of the bubble of like those parents that want to teach their kids these like uh these fundamentals yeah, so we have a lot of ideas on that, most of which we kind of have to put on pause until we really capitalize on the love group, meaning the, like you said, the people that already are sort of red-pilled or that, um, you know, the show seems to um, resonate most with people who identify in some way as a conservative, a libertarian, you know, um, a Bitcoin enthusiast. Those Those types are the ones that seem to be most attracted to it. And it's a huge group. It is a huge group that um, that we can tap into and that the show can be very successful with alone, but obviously we want to branch beyond that. And in my testing with the show, we find that people who identify as either center or center left, that they end up actually agreeing with about 80 to 90% of the content. <laughs> like at first on the outside, they're like, Oh, Tuttle Twins. Yeah, that's like a conservative or, or whatever, a libertarian kind of thing. That's not for me. And then they actually watch the show and they're like, wait a minute. This actually makes sense because we, we, we are now two seasons in and we've never said the word Republican or Democrat once, right? Um, we, we have like one little joke that deals with it. We, we, we just don't put things in terms of liberal versus conservative and um, Democrat versus Republican we're, we're not teaching that way. We're just teaching the principles. And I mean, my personal theory is that everyone, everyone loves freedom. Literally everyone. They just don't all know exactly what that looks like. Like in their hearts, they know that freedom is good and that we should have our freedoms. And that very people have, have actually had that explained to them in a way where they can understand what that means and and what is what that means in the way that we interact in in our society and what are the principles that that's that's that that fundamentally rests on and so when we have um you know like i said i have a lot of friends that are um center center to left that um I, I, the extreme left i don't think we'll ever get them to, <laughs> to be quite frank but um i that very much do love the show when they actually sit down with it. They're like, wait a minute, you're teaching about how, you know, disagreeing with someone doesn't make them your enemy. You're, t you're teaching about the latest episode we just released was on tribalism and how 
as hard as it seems, seek truth over teams. So when we go back, they go back in time and they visit George Washington, who was um, not a big fan of uh, any kind of a party system, right? And so they actually visit a painting of George Washington, to be honest. And so it gave us a little bit more liberty to have fun with the character and to have him say, say and do some silly things. But um, they learn about that, that concept of like people falling into different sort of political parties and that really, um, that really kind of clouding your thinking. And they actually see it in, in the form of, of Nazism in this case, where they see like, wait a minute. To, to be a Nazi, that wasn't actually illegal at all. That was the that was a legal system until it, you know, completely went out of control. And so if you're just kind of going along with your team and not thinking about what's actually right or wrong, then that can lead to real trouble. So those are the kind of subjects that we're hitting on that are very universal. Um, but we've also learned that we can't be everything to everyone, right? If we sit there and be like, Oh, this is a show that anyone would like, and no one ends up watching it. We kind of have to lean into our love group from the from the beginning, and and focus the message in on tapping into those people that are already sort of in a, this state of mind, but now want resources to to transfer those values onto their kids. Um, that's kind of where we have to focus first and foremost. And then I think it's later on where we can start to go more broad and, and more mainstream. All right. We are four minutes past the hour. Daniel, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you gave us a certain amount of time to hang out with us. We have a couple of quick questions here. If you're okay with that, we can, I'm, I'm we good can... to hang. I'm good to hang. All right. Well, let's lightning round these Nate and Brandon, if you don't mind, go very, go very quickly yep. and be succinct. And then yep, we will. We'll let Daniel make a couple of closing comments before we wrap the show. Go ahead, Nate. Can you hear me clearly? We got you loud and clear, brother. Okay. Yep. In 2018, the Brookings Institute put out a report on financial education in the United States. Only nine states mandate financial education in curriculum. The rest are only basic standards or they don't do it at all. This, in, in a survey of 2,000 students, and all of them were mandated to take the education. They saw a 28% increase in fiscal knowledge and responsibility. In, in college students, they surveyed those that did have it mandated in, in high school and those that did not. And it was roughly a 2x in the understanding of financial responsibility and education. Have you thought about intro, intro, uh, introducing that into some of your episodes? And there's, there's more links up there as well. We have an episode written on personal finance already. It's not, um, we're, we're in the midst of producing it right now. So yes, we have. And I think it's something we'll probably touch on more than once um, long-term, but yes, we have, we're headed that direction and um, teaching, gonna teach about specifically about the concept of, of instant gratification versus you know investing into yourself long-term. So it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be an eye-opener. Awesome. Thank you. Brandon. Yes. Yeah. Thanks, Alex. Uh, Daniel, I just wanted to say thank you. Um, four kids under six years old. And uh, we, we watch, we've watched all the episodes many times. We, I've bought multiple sets of, of all the books, everything, given them out to godchildren, uh, you know, nieces and nephews. And uh, my kids do, are doing the workbooks, the worksheets, the six and the four year old all the time. You know, I have 20 minutes every day uh, going through everything. They're phenomenal stuff. Humble just uh, spoke about that. So uh, just a quick testimonial as well. When we go to 
when we go to mass now on Sundays over the last couple of months, every time we put cash in the damn basket, my oldest one looks at me and says, those are fake dollars. Like, and everyone can hear it. And, it, and it's in part because of, of your, you know, what you guys are doing. So I want to say thank you. Just a quick testimonial. And you answered my question, which was, you know, kind of some of your plans going into the future. And I just love that you guys are, are looking long, long term and plan to do this for a long time. So just a heartfelt thank you from me and my family and, and helping form my children and, uh, and many others out there. Thank you. Thank you, Brandon. Appreciate that. All right, Daniel, uh, that pretty much does it for today. I want to thank you again for being here. This has been no hyperbole. I'm not blowing smoke here. This has been one of my favorite episodes we've done in a long, long time. This has been a fantastic conversation. Love what you guys are doing. Do you want to make any closing comments or anything last things you want to say before we wrap up here? Um, just, just go download the angel app. Um, yeah, go onto the App Store, Google Play, download the Angel app for free. Start start watching the show, and if you feel so inclined, pay it forward. That's what helps us get this out to more people. And anytime you, if you want to buy any of our merch, you can go to tuttletwins.store, T-U-T-T-L-E twins.store, and we've got um, a lot of a lot of fun things for people to to buy there. Fantastic! Thanks again for being here. Would love to have you back as a future guest if you guys would like to do that. Um, amazing right on okay that's it uh, a couple of quick items before we wrap here swan private macro tomorrow with john har and the swan private team don't miss that also hard money drops today at 1 p.m eastern on the swan youtube channel you know where to go what to do you have been listening to cafe bitcoin the place for your morning news prefer to hang out for some of the smartest minds in the industry we do talk about bitcoin here every day it's a great place to come and learn if you can't catch the live show on Twitter Spaces, it is also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, the sponsor of this show, my crew, Ant, Peter, Sats for Life, Wicked, and producer Jacob. Really appreciate you guys. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and I work with Swan. If you want to know more, shoot me a DM. I am happy to help you. Thanks again to the speakers. Thanks, Daniel, uh, everybody who comes up here on the regular, teaching people about this bright orange future that we call Bitcoin. That's what I call getting on the mission because we need to teach the other 7 billion people on the planet about this thing and thank you for having me holy cow daniel you guys are definitely on that mission man love all of you guys out there all you cafe bitcoiners have a great day get out there and crush it